to uh, 1 Peter. This little epistle here, 1 Peter chapter number 4 here today. I'm going to keep a theme this, this Sunday and uh, something that's kind of been on my mind. Where is 1 Peter? That's what I'm asking myself right now. <laughs> it's over here between first uh, between James and John. Between the J's, I think, is where you're going to find 1 Peter. And uh, thank you for your prayers while we were gone. We had a great time, great visit, good wedding, God-honoring ceremony. And so I uh, appreciate the Lord uh, letting my niece marry a uh, young Christian man, and so uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a good, good ceremony. It was, it was, it was Christ-honoring. We, we was, uh, it was a blessing. First Peter chapter number 4. Well, I've got a theme on my mind for the next, uh, well, just for today, and so this afternoon we're going to be looking back at it again and seeing uh, another, uh, another, I guess, lesson about this particular theme. And that theme that we're going to be looking at is the theme of suffering, of suffering. And this afternoon's, uh, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't really call it a message, it's going to be more of a lesson uh, this afternoon, uh, but uh, just to kind of give us maybe a basic overview of more of an idea of what uh, different kinds of sufferings that happen in our life. But um, today we're going to be looking here at 1 Peter chapter number 4 in verses 12 through 19. And we see in a message I've entitled, Don't Think It Strange. Don't Think It Strange. Uh, it's not unusual for believers to go through some sufferings in life. And it's going to happen and uh, we need to be prepared for that. Uh, all of us have uh, experienced suffering in some way, shape, or form. Some of us worse than others. And uh, I think that this will be an encouragement and a help to all of us that are here this morning uh, as we uh, get an idea of what suffering is. And let's not think it's strange uh, whenever we go through it. Look here at 1 Peter chapter number 4, and you'll see where I got the message from. It's in verse number 12. He says, he says, dearly, or he says, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, and an alien thing that is a foreign thing that has happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Verse 15, he changes the subject a little bit, and he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him, be, let, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? If the righteous scarcely shall be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let him let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful 
Creator. A Sunday school class was concerned about one of their members' mother in the hospital. And the teacher of the four and five-year-olds encouraged, uh, I probably, it wasn't a four and five-year-old, they wouldn't be able to tell you what I'm getting ready to say, I should have, it was uh, eight and nine-year-olds, I'm making this story up, of course, uh, as we go along, it just gets getting better, uh, one of them preacher stories. But as uh, some eight and nine-year-olds, and they said, uh, the teacher suggested that everybody write a get, well thing, a get well card and put a Bible verse inside of it. And they all did, and they turned it in, and the teacher read each one of them after the class was over. And little Johnny wrote in his, I hope that you get well soon, Matthew 5, 26. Verily I say unto you, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. And so uh, not every Every verse may be good for suffering, uh, but uh, these verses are. These are great verses for us to get a hold of in our hearts and our lives because suffering's coming. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there are some in our church that are suffering now. Uh, some of you in this building right now, you're currently going through a difficult time. And uh, it doesn't matter really when you preach about suffering. You could preach in the spring, the fall, the winter, or the summer. It doesn't matter when you preach on suffering. There's always going to be somebody suffering in the church. Uh, it's always going to be. And if you're not suffering now, you'll be suffering later. You'll have some fiery trial that is to try you. And we need to learn how to handle that in a biblical, godly, and a, as he says here, in a Christian way. Uh, I like how he says that. If any of you suffer as a Christian... And uh, we need to understand that. Help us this morning. May God help us, and let's pray for that. Father, we're thankful for the Word. We pray that, Father, that the Word, God, would be a comfort and a help to all of us that are uh, underneath the preaching of it this morning. That, God, we would uh, learn how to deal with suffering. We probably already do, Lord. And this letter that Peter is writing to these folks uh, he tells them in, their, in the first part of it, he says, this is just, I'm just telling you what you already know. And Lord, I'm not sharing anything new with this crowd here today. Uh, Lord, they know these things. But I pray that, Father, that something would be said from the Holy Ghost, from your word, that would encourage them and help them, convict them, reprove them, admonish them. And admonish me and correct me and reprove me. And Lord, put me back where I need to be and get my mind and heart right with you. and Stay right with you and encourage us to walk with Jesus. May we walk with you, Lord. And Lord, when we walk with you, Lord, we can't expect to, be, to suffer some persecution. We can't expect to be uh, shamed for the gospel that we believe in. And... Uh, I pray that, Father, that, Lord, we won't be ashamed. Uh, but, Lord, we'll follow you and love you. As you say there in your word, that, Lord, whosoever will call upon you, Lord, should not be ashamed. And, Lord, may we not be ashamed for the gospel's sake. In Christ's name, amen. We see here this morning that we do not need to think it strange when we suffer affliction. We don't need to consider that a foreign uh, object that is coming into our lives. 
That's what the word strange means that is in the text right here. It means foreign. It means alien. Uh, We don't need to think about it like that. We don't need to consider it like that. But rather, we need to see the way, see trials the way that God sees them. Amen? That's the, that's the difficult thing in life, I believe. The difficult thing in life is to see things the way that the Lord sees them. That's what's hard for all of us because we're human beings. Uh, our minds are not like Christ. Our, they're not like God's. And so God has to show us and God has to teach us and God has given to us His Holy Spirit in order that He might direct us and lead us and guide us and fill us uh, and show us His path and in His ways. Because we're not naturally born like that. We're naturally born sinners uh, from the womb. I read this morning in Psalm chapter number 58, they come forth speaking lies. Uh, So uh, I've had enough children to understand that verse pretty good. Uh, and understand that David is speaking from a contextual point of that uh, he's speaking about the wicked and the ungodly, how wicked they are that they come from the womb, they're, they're talking lies. But I also understand that to be a naturally true thing. I've had enough kids to understand that, you know. Uh, you know, when a baby is born, um, at first, you know, they're crying and they're needing things, but they pick up on something. You know, babies are real smart, you know that? They're kind of like little puppy dogs. Uh, they're smart too, smarter than what you think. And But after a while, they'll just be crying, and they don't need to be changed. They don't need to be wiped. They don't, need, uh, they don't have gas. They're not, they're not hungry. Uh, they're not anything. They just want mama. Amen? And some of your mama's like, that's enough. That's all I need. <laughs> you know? I'll come and hold them. And uh, some of your grandmas would probably say the same thing. Um, but from the womb... From the very start, naturally speaking, we're, we're not prone to godly thinking. But the Bible tells us this, that now that you're saved in Philippians 2, in verse number 5, he says, Now let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we need to get the mind of Christ. And whatever it might be in life, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's about finances, or maybe it's about... Uh, about who I should uh, hang around with or what job I should take or where I should go to college or, or any of those kinds of things. We need to have what God thinks on the thing. Amen? We need to make sure that we're knowing what the Lord thinks about that matter. What does God say about that? Um, what does God want me to do? And in this issue of trials, this is the way that God wants us to think. You say, this is difficult. I understand. We're not saying that it's not. But the Bible is teaching us the way that it ought to be. So number one, if we're not going to think it's strange when we fall into some fiery trial, then we need to understand a few points. I think the first thing is this, is that we first of all need to see the fiery tribulations that we're going to face. We're going to face some difficult times. That is the idea behind fiery right there. Anytime that there is a fire, a house or a house burns down, uh, that is an extremely difficult situation. People have lost everything. I have a friend of mine that they went away for the, the weekend one time and they came back. And when they came back, they lived on a, on a farm and they lived kind of way back in the back there. And uh, their house burnt down. When they got back to their house, he said their house that was a two-story house was this tall. This tall. And that's tough. No, you don't ever forget that, even if you're eight or nine years old. 
My dad, at the age of nine, lost his dad to a brain aneurysm. He died almost immediately in his bed. In his bed. And uh, stuff like that doesn't leave you. It stays with you. That's a fiery trial. These are fire. The idea is that it's difficult. It's not easy to bear. And so he says to us in verse number 12, he says, how are we to handle these trials? How are we to experience, how are we to go through them? He says, he says, well, number one, he says, don't think them foreign. I've said that already. He says, don't think them strange. Don't think them unusual. He says, don't blub it. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. You see how positively he says it's going to happen, which is to try you. Y'all see that? Which is to try you. It's not a matter of, well, I don't know if I'm going to be tried. I don't know if it's going to happen. No, it is going to happen, which is to try you. It's going to happen. Don't think it's strange. It's going to happen. This trial or this try here, go over to 1 Peter chapter number 1 and notice verse number 6. He says here, he says in verse number 6, he says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that is many temptations, that the trial of your faith, there it is again, trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, it's a trial of faith. Your faith has been put on trial. Your faith is being tested. It's being proven. It's being proved out, if you will, like gold that is tested in a refiner's fire to see whether or not it is true or whether it is not true. The Bible speaks heavily of this all throughout the Bible. In Zechariah 13.9 we read this, And I will bring the third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined. And I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people. And they shall say, The Lord is my God. You know when you come through, a, you know when you come through on the other side of a trial and you are coming through as gold and as silver? It's not that you didn't fail in the trial. Raise your hand, but how many have ever failed in the trial? How many of you have always, 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 you've always passed every test in the trial? None of us have. None of us have ever passed every test of every trial. But the God of the Bible says that's not the test of whether or not you pass the test. Did you notice that? Zechariah 13.9 says that, but when they come through it all, he will say, this is my people, and they will say, the Lord, he is my God. No matter what God brings us through, whatever fiery trial that is, at the end of it all, though maybe we've had some success and though we probably have seen some failures, But when it's all said and done, you can say, he's still my God. He's still my God. I am his people and he is my Lord. Isaiah 48.10 says this, Behold, I refine thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. You see, God is not, uh, he is not ambiguous or he is not subjective in who he chooses who might go through trials. No, he's talking to the children of Israel over 2,000, over 2,500 years ago. 
He's telling them, I have tested you. I have tried you. Are we any different? Surely we're not. He tells Malachi, he says, but who shall abide the day of his coming or who shall stand before his appearing? He is like a refiner's fire and a fuller soap. He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord a holy and offering and, uh, excuse me, unto the Lord an offering and righteousness. Job says this, he says, but he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The Bible is clear about it, folks. No matter who we are or what we might think we might be, we might be the earliest of followers of God like Job. We might be the latest of followers like those in the book of Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 9. But whoever we might be and everybody in between is going to suffer and go through trials. It's a fiery tribulation. What is the, atti- what is the attitude that we are supposed to have then? We're to have full joy. That's God's thinking on the matter, not my thinking. Amen? Naturally, we are all disposed whenever we're going through a trial, we're going to be sad, we're going to be depressed, we're going to be uh, downhearted. And it's not that we shouldn't be. It's not that you never cry during a trial. That's not what he's saying. But you have joy. If Christ must suffer, then must we not also suffer? We should. Therefore rejoice and be exceeding glad, for when His glory shall, be a, shall appear, you will be accounted with Him, for you have taken part in His sufferings. Really, it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? There was one American that was sent out to the outback of Australia to sell shoes. He was a shoe salesman, and his buddy went with him, and they wrote back, and they telegrammed back, and they said, one fellow said here, he says, no business here, nobody wears shoes. The other man uh, telegrammed back, and he wrote these words. He said, there is great opportunity here. Natives do not wear shoes. Please send some. You see, there's a different perspective there. One is looking at the glass half empty and the other is looking at the glass half full, if you will. One's an optimist and one's an eternal pessimist. Uh, Pessimists are good in some ways, but we need to make sure that we're not an eternal pessimist. That we brighten up a little bit. Brighten the corner where you are, says the little kid's song, right? And it's not always easy to do that. And I'm not talking about waking up in the morning and grabbing a smile out of the, out of the drawer and plastering it onto your face like a Mr. Potato Head, okay? That's not what I'm meaning here this morning. But what, we are, what I am saying is this, is that the Word of God teaches us clearly and plainly in 1 Peter chapter number 4 and verse number 13, Rejoice! Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. It's a refreshing attitude. We have so much to be thankful for God for, that He suffered for us, and that the small things that we have to go through, and I don't mean to call them small in the light of what they are, and because some of you are going through difficult things, But Paul did say through his greatest tribulations, he said, though we suffer this light affliction. I heard of a brother that lost, he was actually a pastor, and he 
lost his son is about eight years old and he drowned to death in their backyard and in their pool. In his testimony, some months later, whenever we approached about this and asked how he was doing, he said, he said, in the last several months, he said, I've felt a word that I've never have felt before or experienced before, a four-letter word, P-A-I-N. Never experienced pain like I've ever experienced in the last several months. He said, also I've experienced another word that I've never experienced before like I've experienced in the last several months. Another four-letter word, H-O-P-E. Hope. You see, that's an attitude of a Christian right there. Yes, great pain, but yes, great hope. Because we see the fact that where this suffering is drawing us is always drawing us closer to Christ. The purpose is not to push us away, but like Zechariah says, when I have tried you in the fire, I shall say, this is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. It's a fiery tribulation, but also we see some flawed perceptions that we've got to be careful of. Notice verse number 15. As Peter moves forward about these fiery trials, he wants to instruct us how not to go through them. The first thing that he instructs us with is this, is that we see this sinful testing. For he says in verse number 15, he says, but, and there's a strong contrast right there, isn't it? He says, now if you're suffering, you can rejoice, but... But I've got to tell you this, let none of us suffer as a murderer. Amen? How many of you are thankful for that verse? Amen? Let none of you suffer as a murderer, okay? Let none of you suffer as a thief. Amen? Let none of you suffer as an evildoer. I pray we don't have any thieves or murderers in here. Amen? Amen? I hope we don't. Now, if you're on the crux of doing that, don't suffer like that, okay? You say, I don't think a Christian could commit murder. You don't know people then. Listen, a Christian can do anything that a non-Christian can do, but they cannot be happy about it. They can't live that way. There's unhappiness. There's, there's a lot. It's a killjoy, Amen. For, for an unbeliever, sin is happiness. It's, joy. It's, a, it's, a, it's a rush. But for a believer, sin is a killjoy. It just puts you down. He says, let none of us ever think that we are suffering if we have murdered, stolen something, done some evil deed, or we've been a busybody in other men's matters. And you suffer because of that, all right? He says, that's not the suffering I'm talking about right there. That's sinful suffering. That's suffering that we need to stay away from. Let no man say when I am tempted that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But, let, but every man is tempted when he is, what, drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin bringeth forth death, James 1, 13 and 15. Whenever you and I do wrong, it's not God's fault. And whenever we get caught for it, it's not suffering in a biblical sense. No, we're suffering because of sin. 
Let none of us ever think that we're suffering because of God or because of righteousness' sake. That's a flawed perception right there. A busybody in other men's matters. That means be careful how you get involved in other people's lives. I was, uh, I remember I was at the, uh, I was at my LTC training course and our instructor, he was giving several videos. If you've ever taken the LTC class, uh, you'll know this, but he was showing several videos about, and his point was, don't be a busybody in other men's matters. That was his point. He said, to be, he said, you know what? A good way to get shot is by being a busybody in other men's matters. <laughs> and he showed a video, and I'll never forget the video, of, of somebody uh, kidnapping a 14-year-old girl out of a minivan and dragging her, uh, screaming and kicking uh, over to another car and driving off. And he said, he stopped the video and said, what would you do? And, you know, the first person said, I'd, I'd shoot them, you know. You know, you always got something. And then you got some person, you know, you know, you got a you always got a you always got a John Wayne or a Clint Eastwood in there. You know, I'd shoot the tires out. You know what I mean? Really? You know, you're that good of a shot. All right, you could shoot the tires out over there. Okay, yeah, nobody's that good of a shot. That's movie stuff. Okay, all right. He said, okay, let me tell you the rest of the story. He said, this is a runaway teen that a 22 year old man had taken had taken her, and these are the parents. Risk rescuing her and bringing her back. You say, rescuing? I thought she was kicking and screaming. Yeah, she didn't want to go because she was, del- she was del- delusionary. That was wrong for a 22-year-old man to be kidnapping her. It was the opposite way around. So if you would have shot them, then you would have been in the wrong and you'd be going to jail. Don't be, don't, don't, don't. There was an incident that happened the other day. We were out here in the parking lot working on something. And uh, there was a couple that pulled in, and they were just cussing and fighting with each other. And she was slamming the door, and he was. She grabbed the keys and walked away. And 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 he's he's she's pushing him, and he's pushing her, and they're trying to get this thing and that thing away from each other, you know. And I thought, I thought I need to get involved, you know. And then I heard my, I heard my LTC instructor saying, "Don't get involved in other people's matters." There was nothing illegal happening. There was nothing criminal happening. There was nothing, there was no, she was not, she was not in risk of danger. He was not necessarily doing anything. They were just having a, all in all, just a, just a fight. Just mad at each other. So how'd it turn out? Well, I didn't say nothing. Nobody else said anything. And I can tell you this, she walked off with the keys and left him here. And about five minutes later, he walked down there, got the keys, and I guarantee you, I know exactly what happened. She said, I'm not moving from right here. You go get the car and come back to me and pick me up, <laughs> is what she did. And that's exactly what he did. Cussing and spitting and carrying on. But I'm glad I didn't get involved. It was my business. That's a good way to get hurt. Be careful with who you get involved with, how you do things. Be careful with what, don't, don't suffer that way. That's not the way we're talking about. And then he says in verse number 16, uh, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. For he says, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Whenever you give the gospel and you tell other people about the gospel and you're shamed because of it, 
and people look down on you or they're not your friend anymore or they're not uh, going to talk to you anymore or they, or they cuss at you or spit at you or, or, they, or they fight at you or they do whatever they can do to, not re- to resist what you're trying to say. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't back down from that. Don't say, well, I didn't really mean to share that with you. I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to. No, never say you're sorry for Jesus, my friend. Never. If anybody ever tries to cost you because your belief in Christ, never ever, if you're giving them the gospel, giving them a track, never say, I'm sorry. Never be ashamed of the gospel. I don't want that. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. No, never say that. What have you just done? You've just been ashamed. You shouldn't be sorry for that. Never be sorry for what God told you to do. That's exactly where the devil wants you. Then he's got you pinned down. Never be ashamed. Never be ashamed. Stand up for the gospel. Don't think it's strange. Listen, if you give out, you, if you give out enough, enough gospel tracts, if you tell enough people about the Lord, listen, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be put down. You're going to be not invited to the party. All right? That's just that simple. Okay? In our culture today, all you got to do is really just be faithful to church and follow God, and you won't be invited to the, invited to the party. That's okay. Amen? That's all right. Don't be ashamed. Don't loosen your standards. Don't loosen up on what you believe. Stay faithful to God and stay faithful to Christ. Because don't think it strange when the fiery trial comes. Now that's about all we've got to worry about in America. But there's some places that have got to worry about death and martyrdom. They've got to worry about their family being taken. All because they believe in Jesus Christ. Don't think it's strange. And then finally, if we're going to not think it's strange, we need to not have false presumptions, but we also need to see that there's a final decision. Number 17, he says this, he says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that, be, that, that obey not the gospel of God? Peter is, Peter is reminding us that, that God will allow us to suffer, but praise God for the believer, the suffering is limited. Amen? Doug's brother Bill is no longer suffering. Amen? He's, with glory. He's in glory. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Look up suffering some this morning. A little bit. How many of y'all's knees or back didn't work out like it wanted to this morning? Amen? Amen? Suffering, that's what I'm talking about. It's not easy. Uh, This world is not an easy place for anybody. I don't care if you're a believer or not a believer. It doesn't matter. It's a cruel place. But praise God for a believer that the judgment and that the suffering is limited in its scope. God will judge his house. He will purge out sin. He will clean vessels. Suffering will do that to us. But if God will do that to believers, how much more will he do that to unbelievers? We have really adopted such a love of God mentality within the Christian church that some Christian churches or some people that call themselves churches don't even believe that God is going to be a God of judgment anymore. 
That's false belief, my friend. God is a God of judgment. Read Psalm 58 again. I, I, I was reading it this way. I guess that's why it's on my mind. But I never think of God as somebody busting out teeth. But you know what Psalm 58 says? He says God's going to bust some heads. He says, he's gonna, he says bust out their teeth out of their head. You ever thought about that? It kind of blows my mind. You know what I mean? But that's, that's the God I serve. He is a God of love. Amen? But God, but God is not preeminently a God of love. God is a God of sovereignty and of holiness. And everything else falls underneath that of who He is. He's a God of complete sovereign will. He can do exactly and whatever he does, and whatever he does is right. Whatever he does. If he were to strike me dead in this pulpit, he would be right. That's fearful to say. Please, God, don't strike me dead right now. It's a fearful thing to say. It's a fearful thing to think about, really, when you think about it. But he would be right. And so whatever trial that you go through, whatever trial I go through, whatever hardship I go through, God is right. God is good. God is just. And yes, God is loving. And for believers, I believe that believers that have a right motivation and a right thought and a right attitude about suffering in their lives will see the love of God poured out in their lives more than anybody else. And they'll experience that and know that. Yes, they'll experience pain like nobody else, but yes, they will also experience hope and love like nobody else too. Because that's our God. But if you're an unbeliever this morning, let me just tell you this. He says at the end of 17, he says, What shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely shall be saved, what, where shall the ungodly and the sinner be? I, close, I, I, I kind of close with this and say, if you are a sinner this morning, you say we're all sinners, we've all done wrong. Yes, but the Bible does make a distinguishment. A sinner in the, in the word of God is somebody that has never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're still in sin. That's why they're a sinner. They're still in sin. They still have never been cleansed of their sin. You've never believed upon Jesus. You've never obeyed the gospel. You see, it's an obedience thing. It's a submission thing. It's you placing yourself under the cross, if you will, and saying that I can no longer think in my mind, no longer think in my mind that there's any way, shape, or form that I can get to God. I cannot. I'm unrighteous. I'm ungodly. I need Jesus Christ to save me. And I believe that it is by His death, burial, and resurrection and His shed blood that washes over me that I am saved. And you submit yourself to that and believe the gospel. You obey the gospel. And in doing so, longer, you no longer are you a sinner, biblically, but now, biblically, you become a saint. But it's only through the gospel. It's not your good works. Did you notice that of what he said? There's, I'm not taking anything out of context, I don't think, whenever he says that in verse number 17. And it's, uh, it is, if it, if, is this the word of God? 
Is this the Bible? Is this God's word? Or is it not? This is the word of God. This is not Matthew's word. This is not the MJV, all right? Matthew Joshua's version. That is my name, all right? This is not the MJV. You know what? And it might be King James version, but I'll tell you this, is that it has nothing to do with King James. It has everything to do with God. This is God's And in God's holy word, he says, those that do not obey the gospel shall suffer a much worse suffering. They will not be spared. If the righteous scarcely shall be saved, where shall the ungodly in this sinner appear? I'll tell you where they shall appear. They shall appear before the great white throne of judgment of God. And in that judgment, God will open up the books, plural, and he'll open up a book of life. And in that book of life, he'll begin to scroll down to your name and he'll look for your name. And as he looks for your name, he says, what is your name again? He says, and you tell him your name. You say, well, it's, it's, you know, it's Andrew Jones. And he's looking down through the J's and he says, well, where were you born? I've got an Andrew Jones in here, but where were you born at? And he says, well, I was born in, you know, uh, Pulaski, uh, uh, Mississippi. Well, I don't see one, but what street maybe? And and he's looking down. He says, no, I don't, I don't see you in this book, but let me go over to the other book. And it's a book of works and oh yeah you're in here oh yeah that's right I am in there I've done a lot of works I've looked at all the things I've done and look at what I did and I've and I've gone to church and I've taken communion and I've been baptized and I've and I've done all these things oh yeah they're all in here but you know what else is in here too all the wicked deeds you've done too and he judges you by the works And listen, when he gets done judging, the good ain't going to outweigh the bad, my friend. In fact, if you had done a million good and one bad, he says it negates them all. Or if you've broken the law in one point, offended the law in one point, you've offended it in all. Listen, God knows that all he's got to do is convict you on one thing. But the problem is this. We've all done a lot more than just one thing that's wrong. And not only that, but we we're born sinners. And the problem is this, is that the reason why you're in the book of works and the book of life is because you haven't done the one thing that he has commanded. To obey the gospel. And if you don't obey the gospel, he said he'll look at that book of works. He said after he's done judging you, he'll cast you into the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. Listen, my friend, you don't got to get to heaven one day only to be turned around and thrown out. But you can get to glory one day, my friend, And find your name in the book of life by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've never obeyed Jesus Christ, you've never trusted him as Lord and Savior, we want to give you that opportunity today. With every head.